This is the Off the Break Podcast, your podcast dedicated to current movie theater news, operations, and insights from the people that book the movies. Now, here are your hosts, Cody, Kyle, and Ken. Welcome to Wick Week here at the Off the Break Podcast. <laughs> John, John Wick is in the house, and we're expecting a big, big weekend out of this R-rated film. Yeah, um, from what I'm hearing, it's already having its best opening so far of like 8.9 million i want to say yeah uh for the domestic theaters so it's clearly going to do big numbers i think this weekend and there's been a lot of great buzz surrounding this fourth movie as well so i cannot wait to see this thing i've already heard such amazing things about john wick not quite double the thursday gross to scream but john wick skews way older than the scream audience does Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're not going to see it's similar to like kids' movies where you're not going to see that Thursday, that huge Thursday opening Mm. because, you know, you're not taking your kids Thursday night to a movie. Right. I mean, unless they're driving you nuts and you need an excuse. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and people over 50 are not going out on a Thursday night. No. (laughs) I mean, even no matter what it was. (laughs) We we found this John Wayne film that has been (laughs) under wraps for the last 50 years. No. You're still not getting them out of the house for that. Yeah. They'll I mean, wait until the matinee. Yeah. They'll wait until the, the matinee. They'll check it out today, um, mm-hmm. Saturday. So, I'm you know, 65 to 80 million is the projected opening. And I I think that's spot on. I think it's, you know, it. it's going to be one of our biggest R-rated openings ever, which is awesome. Yeah. It's going to yeah. drive in your audiences. You don't need this to be a $100 million opening. Uh, it's going to, after the, I guess we'll call it break that the Shazam weekend had, uh, it'll be nice to have a lot more audiences coming back to your theaters after uh, probably most of them you'll see them from like Creed 3, I imagine. So it'll yeah. be a nice way to cap off March at least. And people complain about these for the, you know, it's a franchise. Where's something new? Where's this? And it's it's not about that. Like this, people know exactly what they're getting. 100% they know John Wick. There, yeah. There's no, you know, multiple F-bombs in this movie. If they do, it's once or twice and it's, it's mm. because, you know, he shoved a golf club through somebody's eye. <laughs> <laughs> I would have that response as there's, well. <laughs> there's no nudity. There's no sex. There's an extreme amount of gun violence. Yeah. But that's straight across the board. This is this is the fourth time this has happened. And, you know, you can complain all you want. Franchises. There's no new ideas. This is an idea that works. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Make 10 more of these before Keanu's too old. Yeah, until you see... <laughs> you know, uh, a decl- the decline that people aren't interested in them anymore. But at least unlike other franchises, I would say that these are the most visually appealing and they don't take a lot of brain power in the best way possible. Like at this point, audiences know the basis of John Wick and the journey that he's going through. And that's pretty much just survival of everyone else trying to kill him. But I think that's the appeal. I think on top of that, Keanu Reeves is just such a beloved actor once again for like the eighth time in his career that um, people are just on the high for him right now and no sign of slowing down on it. I can't wait for this to bounce back and become like number five is now him actually as John Wick, not him running mm. from everybody fighting all these other assassins. Sure. Number five is just him as the assassin <laughs> where he's given up and he's gone back to his roots. He's it's the like origin. Final. It's the fifth film but it's the origin story of john wick where he goes back and he's you know killing mob bosses and witnesses and <laughs> that sounds like a prequel movie yeah it's a prequel but it's set after all these after he's, gone through, after he's gone through all this garbage and yeah. he's got 
scars and broken bones and stuff. And then he's like, all right, I'll go back to doing the thing that made me John Wick in yeah. the first place. All right, fine, fine, you win. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this wasn't our John Wick review because we haven't seen the movie yet. I've but... seen it. I'm just excited. I know what it's yeah. going to be, and it's going to make a ton of money. And we're going to talk about this until we get another one. Pretty much. <laughs> That's been the theme of unless, the podcast anyway. Unless Expendables 4 is good, then I'll start talking about that. Y- you will. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, well, we didn't even get into... Uh, we had last week off. Uh, we were just back from vacation, and Kyle was still gone. Mm-hmm. Kyle went to Texas, yep, and we Austin. went we went to Mexico by way of Texas. So, yes. So we were both in Texas at the same point in time. Kind Dif- of, yeah. Different cities. Different but, cities. But, but hey, howdy. We, we, never, <laughs> we never leave each other, <laughs> even when we're both on vacation. I know. No, we'll tra- travel 2,000 miles to be like as close to each other as we can. Right. <laughs> Um, I did try to see a movie premiere at South by Southwest because it was happening at the time that I was down in Austin and we were 10 people away from being able to get in, but the seats filled up. Oh man. Yeah. What movie was it? It was for the Lionsgate comedy Joyride. Um, Oh yeah. And from what I've heard, it was one of the best movies to come out of South by Southwest. So I'm really kicking myself that I wasn't able to see it. But uh, that could be a comedy that surprises by the sounds of it. Yeah. No, it's a um, AAPI, you know, kind of bridesmaids. Yeah. For, and, yeah, exactly. And it, it looks great. I mean, it looks it looks raunchy, dirty. It looks like what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Sex which comedy, is great. Yeah. Raunchy comedy. Yeah, yeah. We need more of those anyway. So I'm, I'm happy to see that comedies are getting that theatrical treatment it's been a hot minute since we've had a, a good one <laughs> yeah i would say so i mean we were just talking about like the hangover yeah the watching the hangover movies yeah. being forced to because there's nothing else out there that really like hits that level yeah oh, okay. and the hangover still does it's so good i mean there's all the stuff from the 90s really early 2000s and then it's the the hangover bridesmaids and then it's kind of like I don't know. Yeah. The, <laughs> I mean, the, it takes a minute to come up with the things that fill that gap. Maybe Girl's Trip was the last good one. Uh, but even still, Girl's Trip doesn't like hit the peak of like Hangover or Bridesmaids, in my opinion. Yeah. Still no. a really good comedy. Yeah. But they weren't the ones that lit the uh, box office on fire. So well, hopefully this does does some damage similar to because of the because of the specific diversity of the casting. Mm. You know, I'm hopeful that this does something like um not my my big fat asian wedding what's the oh my big fat greek wedding no no the the asian one where they were in china and you know what i'm talking about uh, oh my god oh crazy rich asians crazy rich asians yes, thank yes. you yeah 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 yes uh, hopefully that was a huge surprise and hopefully this carries some of that audience and the comedy audience with it for sure and creates a big boom but I'm pumped for this. A, a June, you know, raunchy, raunchy comedy is going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now back to business. Oh, yes. The first topic, <laughs> the first topic on your list. I, I, I forgot about this because this is all we talk about in the office. This is the only, this is the conversation that carries through the ages is that we don't have enough kids movies. We don't have family stuff. We don't have PG stuff. And then an article on Screen Crush this week says, Hey, there's not enough family or PG stuff out there. Weird. <laughs> I'm just happy that someone is noticing. I mean, this is like our number one issue in our industry right now is that we get really excited when 
a kid's movie, whether it's animated or live action or whatever, but a kid's movie nonetheless is able to hit and does major box office business. But lately, the past couple of years, it just are few and far between. And we just don't have very many that are really like every every single month, like to a month or whatever. And mm-hmm. it would just be nice to be able to fill those spaces. And the writer in this article was saying that he wanted to take his daughter out for a father-daughter date and he wanted the movies to be a part of it. But he was looking at all the theaters around him and basically the only movie left was Puss in Boots and they've seen it already. And so that's what brought him to write in this article. And I don't like the direction that he took with it because he does like talk about some of the responses that he got from Twitter about this topic. And of course people on Twitter have no idea like (laughs) about what goes on in the theater industry. So they're like, Oh, well Shazam's a kid's movie or well, there's going to be Mario next week or you could probably still find Puss in Boots elsewhere. And those are just like the wrong things to bring up because we don't have enough family oriented, uh, movies. Now. And, and, I don't know. I just would like also like there to be more PG uh, live action, family friendly movies, kind of like in the vein of what the Goonies would have been as an example. But yeah, yeah. At, at least we should get more animated stuff. Yeah. We've had a few pops with like, I'd say around, around the pandemic pandemic with like we had playing with fire, which was a, a kids-centric movie that was PG mm, live action. Yeah, with John Cena. Yeah. We had the War with Grandpa, which was Robert De Niro. That is not a good movie, but one of my kids' favorites because it's like Dennis the Menace with all the slapstick comedy oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where they're playing pranks on Robert De Niro. I bet that's gonna be one of those movies. Like years later, people will be like, "Hey, did anyone else watch this as a kid? Was that a fever dream?" Yeah, exactly. Robert De Niro like has a war with a kid, but he doesn't kill him in a mob hit. Yeah. <laughs> He hits him with like a rubber band gun or something. I don't yeah. know. Whatever happens. So there's a lot of, you know, there, there's plenty of opportunity for this. We need, if if I'm setting a schedule as a, as a film distributor, I want to see a PG family movie, animated or not, every six weeks. Yeah. That's what I need. I mean, I, whoever I am, if, if I'm Warner Brothers and Universal has a movie – this week, six weeks from now, I'm placing my family movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm placing it near holidays, but I'm I'm finding that period, letting that movie breathe, make its money, get its audience, and then allowing those people to recuperate from all the money they spent on tickets and concessions, and then coming around again for <laughs> my version of this and do it all over again. And last year was so few and far between. We didn't have a family movie in the first quarter of 2022. And then we had Bad Guys and Sonic 2 were together. About, yeah. They were close together in April, April or May. And then we had Minions, DC League of Super Pets, Pause of Fury. In in (laughs) Within, it was one skip week, DC League, and then Pause of Fury, I think, was the fourth week. Yeah. So we had those within four weeks of each other, which made absolutely zero sense. Yep. And if you're... If you're looking at scheduling these, we need one every six weeks. Mm-hmm. And same thing with um, right now in April, we're getting um, – we always get like one faith-based movie that hangs out this time of year for Easter. And Jesus Revolution is has opened and held on well. And then we have His Only Son from Angel Pictures that's opening on March 31st, going wider on 
Easter weekend. But those two have enough spacing where you're going to be able to get the second film in and we're not overwhelming the market. We're not giving them three faith-based options. You have an older one or a new one. Yeah, they're going to come back and, after that wait. Yeah, and you know, it's just perfectly timed and we just need more of that looking at the scheduling and timing these things and making sure that you're not putting your film in a bad spot or moving moving on because the family audience, we're going to see this with Mario. We're going to see this massive opening and then everybody's going to, all the film companies are going to clamor like, oh, we got to get family films in and then they're going to shove them down our throats at the holidays and we're going to be stuck with four family films to play all at the same time. And yeah. it doesn't work. Somebody, somebody misses out and most likely in those scenarios, two or three of those films don't do any business because one rises to the top. It's so odd to me how studios, for the most part, are able to understand how to spread out their releases so they don't... So so they do give that window of, like, peace for a specific audience of, the, of a similar type of movie before theirs releases. It seems like they always do really well for most of... Uh, of genres or of live action stuff, but it doesn't seem like they have that knack for it in animation, which I just find really surprising. Cause I, I think that's a medium that, that, that deserves the theatrical treatment and especially for family audiences who mainly are looking for animation stuff first, not necessarily live action at this point in time, but it just surprises me that studios don't have that grasp, that same graphs for animation as compared to other other types of movies yeah no absolutely there's there's been a massive need since puss in boots opened and underwhelmed with its opening numbers to the point that they put it on streaming 17 days after the release yeah so starting from the beginning of january there was a need for a new theatrical film and the only reason puss in boots is doing the business it's done because there's no competition yeah i mean not not a, not much competition there is zero mm-hmm. zero competition so if you put not that warner brothers is going to do this but there are are universal is going to do this and cut off their own legs on puss and boots but there is an opportunity <coughs> mid mid to late january all of february all of march to open a pg family film yeah and and then like oh mario's at the the first week of april so we'll as long as we're before that we're good mm-hmm. no it just complete <laughs> ignoring of this whole corridor where where spring break exists where yeah. i mean entire industries yeah. based on family entertainment exist only in this period of time <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just i just don't understand the judgment or uh, yeah just the judgment of how studios think about scheduling out family movies or even just animation for that matter and I really hope at least Puss in Boots is the wake-up call of showing that not just families, but other audiences do love animation and that they'll start wanting to release more of them into theaters and then we'll be able to have, like, every six weeks a new one comes out. Yeah, I I think it's just the... It's just changing these attitudes about this. And especially with Netflix scaling back on its animated stuff, there's going to be, there's people out there, there's there's the ability to get these projects accomplished now mm-hmm. a little bit more than there was pre-pandemic or, you know, after where everybody was, you know, you have animators. Well, 
animators work on their, their on their own anyway. Yeah, <laughs> there's not there. It's not Disney's team of animators that are drawing crap on <laughs> on cells anymore. It's all right. It's, it's all computer graphics. All of theirs from back at home. Um, all right, so should we move on to our other topic? Yeah, it we was have exciting. Some two big ones. You sent me this one, and I was I was I I, I am excited cautiously optimistic about this i am in the same boat <laughs> so and, and this was like a last second change i wasn't planning on having this topic um but it, it we are recording this on friday and this report came out the day before so thursday and there was a report from bloomberg uh a business site that stated that apple is planning on spending a billion dollars to release movies theatrically they did not specify, no one from Apple has specified on how many movies will this be? How wide will it, will, will these movies be going to theaters? What do they consider to be wide? Is it 2,000 locations? Are they going to lowball that? Or is it going to be 3,000 plus to where it's actual wide releasing? Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's they didn't specify anything about windowing. They just said, hey, we're going to spend this big amount of money to release movies theatrically way more than what we've done previously, which is very small theatrical windows to get Oscar buzz. So hearing them, hearing another tech company following up what Amazon is doing with likes of Creed and Air with releasing stuff theatrically, it makes me very optimistic, but cautious about it just because we haven't heard the details about how Apple is planning on releasing these movies uh if they're gonna stick with you know the windowing method that everyone's agreed to etc etc but this is positive to see that these tech companies that are trying to get into the entertainment business seemingly come to understand how theatrical is important to not only boosting a movie's cred but also a streaming services cred so yeah right there with you ken it's very positive but we should be cautious about this because we don't know what they're parameters are going to be quite yet yeah no we don't we don't know all the the wrinkles to this but this shows something about the resilience of our industry is that two of the five biggest companies in the world two of the five most profitable companies in the world are investing in theatrical films yeah yeah how is that a thing i mean (laughs) (laughs) It, it, we were surprised because, by grocery stores, but <laughs> yeah. But the the amazing upside of our our industry is that there is room for improvement, whether that's at a venue level or a content level or a distribution level, where Amazon really put a lot of faith in um, in the idea of what Creed would do is what they're theatrical would do Mm -hmm. theatrical distribution was going to go based off of how creed opened and how it played and it exceeded expectations and now we're seeing you know a very cooperative relationship with the the folks at at amazon which is mgm which is which was united artists which is (laughs) but it's it's a it's a downward it's a it's a self-fulfilling prophecy you know as long as as long as these continue to do well places like apple are going to say well Amazon's doing this and they're doing it well. We already have a streaming service. We've already bought movies. So let's just put them in theaters. I mean, they're the two biggest acquisitions or films that they played was was Coda, which was the Academy Award winner, which didn't play anywhere, but they didn't have anyone in place to distribute this film. Okay. And then 
they bought Greyhound, which is a theatrical release. That was meant to be a theatrical <laughs> release. I mean, Sony made it that way. Sony doesn't have a distribution or yeah. a, a streaming service. So they sold it to the highest bidder, which I don't blame them for during the pandemic. But watching watching this movie on your iPhone is such a disgrace because it is such a well-done movie. I made the mistake of seeing it on my laptop. Yeah. The entire time I'm thinking, I should throw this on my TV. I know. Why am I not doing this right now? I know. Because it's I'm so such an idiot. Because it's so convenient to just click the button and go, look. Yeah. Moving pictures. Lesson learned. But there is such an ability uh for this to uh to be a huge benefit to our industry and to see a movement where two of the biggest companies in the world are investing in this, but we also still have Warner Brothers and Universal and Sony, and we always talk about a a big six in the office. Well, this makes it a big eight, which is potentially, which is you know huge, and where we're dealing with too much product, too much good product in the market, which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, it if you have a, <laughs> a limited complex where you can't open every film at your complex, that's okay because not every one of these dramas is going to be for your theater not every r-rated horror film is going to be for your theater we're going to have plenty of but we have plenty of product to play again this is not 2020 this is not 2021 this isn't even the the uh the fall of 2022 right (laughs) i mean we're our, our slate already looks good and then if you're telling me that apple is possibly going to pump things into the slate that we have from here on out i'm I'm beyond excited if we can if this actually works into something that comes to fruition. The potential is absolutely there and I agree with you. We were it wasn't that long ago where we were worried about the 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 majors growing from, you know, whatever the big number was down to like 3, right? Yeah. And now it's if Amazon and Apple continue down this what seems to be a positive path, we could be growing that number back out again. And that's a really exciting thing that Theaters uh, should really let these stu- uh, these tech companies know, like, hey, this is going to be really good for you guys. We'll make sure of that. Yeah, and the audiences came out in numbers, and obviously with the over 3,500 uh, theater opening of Creed Three, the theaters are supporting it. They're giving Amazon MGM the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Like, yes, you didn't let us have films before. Yes, you didn't do this, but let's try to start off on the right foot. We're going to, you give us the opportunity, we'll support it. And then we put up a huge number and it only had a 50% drop for week two. And it's, it's going to continue down this trajectory. It's very, you know, very easily could be a hundred million dollar Creed three movie. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) If it continues. I find it odd that the conversations in our industry have been that air is the testing ground for Amazon releasing something. I guess that's because Creed is more of a franchise movie as compared to air being like a, an adult drama. But I kind of felt in a way that Creed was the testing ground. I mean, there was still questions about like Sylvester Stallone, not being back. Michael B. Mm. Jordan's first time directing our audiences still going to be interested in Creed because the last one was pre pandemic. And yeah, so I, I think Creed, if anything else, was the yeah. testing ground for this, no, not Air. Air is not going to be, a, regardless of how well it it does, I don't feel that it's going to be a, a huge moneymaker. But there is going to be talks about, you know, 
uh, all the critical acclaim is going to be there mm-hmm. because Ben Affleck and Matt Damon working together. It's it's Goodwill Hunting plus Ford versus Ferrari is yeah. what this looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's a so, good so it's going to be a solid film. It's not going to make a ton of money because it just isn't. It's an R-rated drama. But it still will make more money than only on streaming. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Where you can't really quantify what, like so many people watch this. Yeah, but did they buy our streaming service because of this one film? Yeah. Did they sign up for this? Or was it the 1,800 other things we released this month? Or was it because their carrots would get here sooner? Mm. <laughs> you have no idea in this in, in that market what it means. But people actually vote with their dollars at theaters. Yeah. And, and whether or not this does well, the critical acclaim is going to be there. So if they're like, well, we didn't make very much money with air, and then roll around to January of next year, it's like, oh, we got nominated for three awards for this. Oh, yeah. we completely forget about the lack of money it did or did not make. <laughs> because at least we could get a reward, oh, or because, at least I'm in the conversation yeah, for an award. No, I'm rubbing elbows with all these great other prestigious, prestigious studios over here at Amazon because I made – because I – I said yes to a movie with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. <laughs> oh my gosh! I saw Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, is it the '90s still? What a, what a genius am I for for greenlighting a movie directed? I mean, Ben Affleck has, as a director, is just you know uh, hard. It, all the movies are great. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with any of the movies, and it's just this is just going to be a continuation of that, plus the humor that you don't get in his movies. Generally speaking, they're That's pretty pretty solid dramas. There's yeah. not a lot. I mean, there's little quips, but this whole movie is based around the idea of the humor of the 80s, <laughs> like how silly the yeah, 80s that's a looked. Good point. And then you put great actors in it and a great director. And Viola Davis plays, I mean, I, I completely missed this because I oh, watched really? the trailer and wasn't yeah. really like settled in. I was like, oh, the 80s aesthetic's cool, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon negotiating against viola davis like that movie by itself without the Context. set piece of the 80s yeah yeah yeah. it's still like i'm still gonna watch this movie yeah that's and, a good point <laughs> but you don't expect that movie to make 100 million dollars at the box office no i mean 30 would be a stretch most likely for that movie if it hits 25 we'll yeah cheer yeah you expect yeah. it's going to be like a pretty hardcore drama with with those three in it yeah absolutely but it's like viola davis on top of this it's it's going to get so much acclaim that they'll forget Regardless of if it if it pays for itself or not, by by the end of the year they'll be like, oh yeah, look at all these awards we're gonna get for this. Yeah, for sure. Point, <laughs> at least nominations. Point being, Apple, Amazon, these are win-win situations for you releasing theatrically, no matter what. Because you could get awards claim, you could, or or at the very least, you'll get lots of box office success. Or if the movie doesn't work out well, well, you'll still put it on streaming, and someone will have heard of it and be interested. You have content for your streaming service, which you are going to pay for anyway. Yeah. Whether the quality was great or not great. Yes. And if you you're, still were going to release it anyway. And if you have questions about your distribution schedule or who should be on your distribution team, please give me a call so we can <laughs> we can sort this out, Apple, and make things easy for everyone. Uh, I do have one question for you because I'm very curious about this, and then we'll wrap up the episode today. Uh, Apple, I, they kind of have a small distribution team right now, I believe. Do you think that they're going to grow it as they push more theatrically? Or do you think they're going to try to do partnerships with other distributors to do the work for them? Apple does not have a distribution team at all. At all. Okay. So they have one one gal that answers one email uh, from my experience every four to six months. 
<laughs> and, okay. And and she either directs you to a distribution uh, company that is actually booking the film for them, or they just ignore your email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm I'm hopeful that Apple doesn't try to reinvent the wheel here. While our industry is convoluted in a lot of ways, this is the system that everyone else has in place. Yeah. So I'd like them to stick with the model of a film distribution team that contacts theater chains and film buyers and books of film and sets terms based on um, standard industry practices. I would like that, but I wouldn't put it past somebody like Apple to like create a portal where you log in to book to book a movie. Oh, <laughs> I didn't like, even think of that. It's option. something as like automated. Yeah. Or they go to a very, very small distributor, um, which we saw with um, not... I think they do stuff with A24. They do something. They had done some things with A24. Yeah. In this last go around, they went with Picture House, Picture which House, is a okay. very, very small distribution company. Yeah. So I'm hoping that there's a mid-level distribution company that picks them up. We've had we really enjoyed working with with A24 with some of the Apple films. Uh, working with Bleecker Street, they did the Banker right before the pandemic. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But yes, having someone that's experienced that can book these films in a timely manner and target locations and communicate properly would be amazing. And I would think that there's plenty of companies out there that would take on a billion dollar slate of films and and push things to the side. Even if it wasn't a huge slate of films with Apple's money, they would jump on that easily. You would think so. Yeah. So I'm hoping that Apple does the right thing and sticks to the industry practices um, and doesn't go straight because that's my fear is that they go to like this, online engagement for for bookings and things like that which while it is very very efficient <laughs> it's not the ideal way to work in our industry currently no no <laughs> you actually you have to talk to these people <laughs> well, it just so decisions aren't made on ones and zeros yeah. is the is the concern that i have that theaters aren't left out of a film because they don't fit the the demographic they don't fit the model for this movie even though the the theater obviously if they're requesting the film they believe that it has a possibility to work and make money for the the studio and for themselves but also based on this idea that this film has to play in this theater regardless even though it's it's not going to work because this is a higher grossing theater or this it our our world is a lot of ones and zeros but it can't be one of them when it comes down to making scheduling and, and booking decisions. Yeah, so absolutely. Apple, do the right thing and, you know, give me a call. I consult for <laughs> a very, very reasonable fee. Oh, yeah. You guys will think it's pocket change. <laughs> yes. But to us, it's everything. <laughs> uh, okay. So on that note, I think that'll wrap up our episode today. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And also, just to help us out... Uh, Please review our podcast on like Apple Podcasts or other places where you can do that sort of thing. And also follow us on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Uh, You know, we would just appreciate that support because we love doing this podcast and we love uh, talking to you guys about our industry. Polish your pistols. It's (laughs) Wick Weekend. I'm I'm so excited. (laughs) This is the most excited I've been for a movie this year, I think. I think so, too. Yeah, easily. (laughs) So, everyone, have a great John Wick weekend, and we should be back next week. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. 
Thank you for listening to Off the Break Podcast. Find us on all podcast platforms or at screeninsider.co. And be sure to like and follow our Facebook and Instagram pages at Off the Break Podcast.